All right, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Now, I love this passage of scriptures. I'm going to read it again. It hadn't been very far in it. Therefore, and of course, he's referring back to what all we've read up to now. Seeing that we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, if you've got a ministry, you've received the mercy of God. I just heard how you, I said, how are you doing? Better than I deserve. And that's a wonderful answer, especially if you mean it. Or it is true. We've received, uh, have received mercy and we faint not. Beverly was in a store not long ago and the cashier lady fainted. Well, nobody's tending her cash, cash register. So all those people are, you know, they got to take care of her. So as I say, fainting, boy, that really puts everybody back. Anyway, he said, we faint not. He meant we don't take, we don't take a back seat to anybody. We've got a job to do and we're forward with it. Even if we're in bonds and chains, we're still going forward with the ministry God called us to. But now we've renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully. So the dishonesty, boy, there's a lot of dishonesty around. And I'm going to tell you this. If you know what a scripture means, and you're letting it go, as meaning something else. That's dishonest. But he said we've renounced that. We don't try to put up stuff that that's lies. Just to try to coax people in. We're not walking in craftiness. And that's that's the two Greek words pan urgos. Doing just anything. I mean, some of these churches, I haven't noticed it for a long time. I don't get the newspaper and I don't pay any attention. Don't look for it. But it used to be almost every week in the Lexington paper, in the religious section on Saturday, you could find something going on in some church trying to attract a crowd. You might have, you might have, uh, See, uh, the great Houdini doing magic tricks for Jesus. Where does magic come from? It's satanic. And yet, preachers, allegedly of the gospel, having men in with that black art of magic, for the Lord. That's like years ago when I first rendered preach. People didn't, I don't guess they knew any better. But I've tried to inform people since then. I'm going to preach someplace. And they said, well, luck to you. 
good luck in preaching. Good luck in preaching the gospel. Luck is heathenism. It comes from the Latin god Fortuna. How can you wish me good luck? I'm trying to serve the Lord, and God says, stay away from all that garbage. Doesn't make sense, does it? Well, that's because people don't know any better, because preachers don't preach what they should be preaching. Uh, I think it was on the Facebook. Some of you might have seen it. I don't know who put it up there, but it was a quote. I believe it was from Martin Lloyd-Jones about preachers preaching everything but what they should be preaching, which is the doctrines of the Word of God. Do you remember seeing something like that? I don't... Uh, anyway. So not walking in craftiness, just doing anything. Nor handling the Word of God deceitfully. Actually, when you read this, see this in the... The Greek, the word for deceitfully is, uh, is only used one time. Uh, but handling the word of God deceitfully, that is the, that is the definition of deceitfully. Making it say something that it doesn't. Do you remember all the references I gave you? Uh, I don't know, did I do it Sunday afternoon? I don't know if we've still got that up here or not. The references that the Catholic Church uses to, to justify the teaching of purgatory. That's handling the word of God deceitfully. Amen. You know, good and well it doesn't talk about, doesn't say anything about a purgatory. That came right straight from heathenism. In Louisville. On, that's Broadway right down by the river, isn't it? The old, old Louisville. That uh, museum is down there. I guess it's still there. And it's certainly not a creation museum. But it's, have you been, y'all been in that museum? All right. As you go in, they got a great big plumb bob. Goes all the way to a high ceiling. And you can watch this rotating there. And you can see the earth rotating. Because it just swings back and forth. And it moves stuff around just, just a little bit. But it proves that it's round. Uh, anyway, upstairs, they've got an Egyptology room. They used to have it anyway. And when you walk in it, it's like going into a King Tut's tomb or something. It's got a mummy in there and all that kind of artifact from, from e- Egyptian paganism. And all around the ceiling, there's a frieze. About that wide, pictures. And you can tell they got the got all the old Egypt stuff. If you look at that very carefully, there is a scene there of purgatory. Comes right straight from Egypt paganism, which actually came from Babylonian paganism. That's where the teaching of purgatory came from. It didn't come from the Bible, and they know that it didn't. Anyway, that's handling the Word of God deceitfully. And then they pass laws that you can't read it. At least you can't read it in your language. 
You can have one in, in a language that you can't read. Well, I don't know whether they do it here or not, but still do it in all parts of the world. Their priests speak in Latin. Dead language. Most people don't know, understand language, uh, Latin. He said, now, but here's what we deal with. We've renounced all three of those things. Dishonesty, handling, uh, doing just anything, and handling the word of God to see. We've renounced all that. We don't, we don't travel in those circles. But by manifestation of the truth, that's God's truth. Manifestation, bringing forth the truth. There the ministry is. Manifestation of the truth. Commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. We stand before you just as we are. We're not presenting ourselves to be something that we're not. I don't have a title. I'm not Reverend Dr. So-and-so. Paul wasn't that. And he said, using great plainness of speech, manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to men's conscience in the sight of God. We are what we present ourselves to be. But if our gospel be hid, here he calls it our gospel. It's been called the everlasting gospel. It's been called God's gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of grace. It's God's gospel, same gospel, only one. But if our gospel be hid, people don't understand it. It is hid to them that are lost. And that means what it says, those that are lost, they haven't had a work of grace done in them. Is the gospel hid to some in this world? Yes, most certainly that it is. And here's some of the goings on. In whom? The lost. In whom? The God of, no, the little g, the God of this world. Now, who's the God of this world? Well, that's right. Let's look at John 12 real quick. Thirty-one. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Look at chapter fourteen. Verse thirty. Hereafter I will not talk much with you, for the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing. In me. So, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them, not in them. Now, notice that he said, if our gospel be hid, 
it's hid to them that are lost. It is hid to them. And in those people who are lost, the God of this world hath even blinded their minds. You see what I'm saying? Satan has blinded their minds. Not that he made them lost. But in addition to the fact that they're lost, Satan hath blinded their minds of those which believe not. Lest the glorious gospel of Christ and Christ who is the image of God should shine unto them. It wouldn't save them. If it shined unto them, it wouldn't save them. It'd make, I don't know what, what kind of a monster it would make. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying Satan can stop some, the Lord from doing a work of grace in you. For we preach not ourselves, verse 5, but Christ Jesus the Lord. You hear some preachers preaching. And if you were to take all of the I, we, me, our, us, there wouldn't be a whole lot left. I do not believe that pulpit time is the time for a man to tell everybody about his life and his family's life and all the things, glorious things he's done. I'd hear people preachers preach and then I'd hear them talk about how hard they study and I'd say why why would it take you a long time to study to tell stuff in your life to tell of your experiences things that you did and things that happened to you why would you have to study for that they don't But to get a message going, you might have to. We preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus, the Lord. Not one part of his person and work. Christ Jesus, the Lord. And ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's, that's his two-part preaching. The manifestation of the truth, we preach Christ Jesus the Lord. And then we present ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. That's what it is, he's a servant. All right, so, because you see, here's how it is. God, who commanded 
the light to shine out of darkness. Hold on to that thought, and I want to go back to Matthew 13. talking about the God of this world. Go back to Matthew 13. In this parable of the sower, verse 4, when he sowed, Some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Now, who are those fowls? Look at verse 19. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one. And catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. Now, uh, look at 19, I think. Look at Mark 4.15. What I'm trying to get this across, it's the same parable, but Mark's account. Verse 15, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown, but when they have heard Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So there is... Pretty plain, isn't it? Now look at Luke 8. In verse 12, those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. That's Satan, the God of this world. All right. Huh? And the fowls, it's Satan. All right, then on that, uh, the mustard seed, the, the, the fowls came and roosted in that tree. That's why I say they're evil. Okay. All right, now, back to verse 6 of 2 Corinthians, chapter 4. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness. And look look back at Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, you know, the King James is the only one that's got heaven singular. The rest of them have it plural. But they're wrong. 
Uh, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, what difference does it make, heaven singular or plural, you know that? What difference it makes? Now here, here's the theory behind that. And I think it's right. When the earth was first created, God spoke it into existence. But there's the planet earth. It's in darkness. And all of the water is not on it. It's under it, but it's not. Mostly you've got land surface. And there was heaven. Now notice, he hasn't made the stars yet. Was that day four? The planets and the stars, sun, moon. He hadn't made those yet. So there evidently wasn't that division of heaven that Paul talked about. He was called up to the third heaven. The third heaven, that's where God lives. You're not going to get there from here. The second heaven, that's where the astronauts play. And the first heaven is where the birds fly. That's the that's first, second, and third heavens. That wasn't true on the first day of creation. You had the heaven. It was an sp- expanse. And the stars and the planets weren't there. I know what the so-called... Uh, evolutionary scientists say but this is what the Bible says and all of those planets were not made yet well back over there uh, on verse 14 of chapter 1 let there be lights in the firmament this is on the fourth day the firmament is the is space of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs, for seasons, and for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, and it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night, and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw, God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. This is the first day. All of that didn't exist yet. It was a six-day creation. See, you see the difference now. Okay. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness... Now, what kind of light was it? Now, I'll I, I stand tooth and toenail with anybody alive. I do not believe that when you see starlight, it's been traveling for billions of years. Now, if you notice on the created cosmos, we've watched it here several times. You can see it at the creation, the creation museum. Of course, that's all 
artist conceptions and all that. Do you know nobody's ever seen a star? Nobody has ever seen a star with the biggest telescopes on earth. They've never seen a star. All they can see is a speck of light. You can see the sun 93 million miles away. You can see the sun. You can see explosions. You can see stuff going on on the sun. And certainly you can see the moon. But you cannot see a star. All you can see is a speck of light. And the absolutely only way they can tell anything about a star is they think the color. That's all, folks. They say they're gas giants and all this. How do they know? Anyway, it's when you make them own up to what they're talking about, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> I don't know what they're made out of, but let me tell you what I was going to say. In pitch dark. I'm at the end of a 500 foot long hallway. There's not a, a ray of light in there. And you're on the other end. I guess you could say when you turn that, flip that button and light that flashlight, that that light, in a sense, travels. How far will that light travel? That wouldn't be hard to find out. How far would it travel? Do you think it'll travel a mile? I don't think it will. I think you can judge it in feet, how far it will travel, or at least how long, how far away you can see it. Now, when you, that light's burning, and you're traveling towards it, there's a point where you can see it. Now, did that light travel to meet you, or did you just travel to meet the light? I think it's a legitimate question, isn't it? And I think I traveled to meet that light. You take these big uh, searchlights. I don't know how many million candle power they've got. They got a big generator on them and all that. Military used them. Uh, they used to see them all the time. You see them all the time. The airport and all that. Somebody advertising. Paul Miller Ford. Somebody advertising cars. And they, got, they rent those big generator lights. And run those lights up on the cloud. Yes, you can see them all over. But now how far you're in a jet plane. How far up can you see that light? There comes a point where you can't see it. Is that light going to travel to meet you? I don't know. They say that they actually say that we're seeing 
light from the, from the origin of the universe. I think they're full of baloney myself. I don't think it's possible. And I don't know what kind of energy gets behind that light and keeps it going. Anyway, God commanded the light. He said, let there be. And there was light. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. He said, well, we we can't imagine what kind of light that would be. Well, that's your problem. Wouldn't you think that? If you don't believe the word of God, that's your problem. So I'm not going to try to bend the meat, something like that. I'm not capable of doing that. God said, let there be light and there was light. Where did it come from? Right there. It didn't travel from one foot away. It illuminated. And Paul... (laughs) Paul is talking about that very same light and the very same power of that light that shined into our hearts. My goodness. Woo! Shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God In the face of Jesus Christ. Where is the glory of God? In the face of Jesus Christ. We don't see a picture of him. We see his description. We see the word of truth about him. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Well, back when they started publicizing about the, the uh, Dead Sea Scrolls. 40, 1948 is when they discovered them. And I think they sat on them for a while before many people in the world knew about them. So it's in the 50s when they started publicizing. And I read an article by somebody who, on this verse, uh, tried to say that was fulfillment of prophecy there when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. Because the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in earthen vessels. But I don't think that's what Paul's talking about here. I think Paul is talking about us. Human beings that have been enlightened by the power of God. And we have this treasure. What treasure? The glorious gospel of God. In earthen vessels. We're, we are earthen vessels. Now, if you take care of them, clay pots will last a long time. But invariably, what happens to that good clay pot you had? Somebody knocked it off. Boom. Now you've got pot surge. If you've got boils, you're in good shape. But as far as holding a flower or anything else, it won't do it because you got nothing but pieces. Well, guess what? We're the same way. I'm the same way. You're the same way. We're earthen vessels. And they're going to last just so long. 
you'll get so much wear out of them, and then they'll be gone right back to where they came from. And so we have, in something as fragile <laughs> as an earthen vessel, we've got the glorious gospel of God. Amen. And that's what our job is to deliver it. That the power may be of God, not of us. Amen. And if everything else he says is right there, that's why he doesn't use excellency of speech. Great plainness of speech. I don't want you to think I'm something I'm not. And he said, we are troubled on every side. Ah, yet not distressed. Oh, <laughs> one time at one of the conferences, Instead of having preaching, they decided they was going to have somebody do a, a seminar on preacher stress. Was you ever over there for one of them? No. I didn't ever go to one of them. I didn't know what they're talking about. Preacher stress. What's that? Preachers getting stressed out and resigning the ministry. I pretty much think if they resigned, they should have. I don't know. That's kind of been my attitude towards it. What are you stressed about? Paul said, we are distressed, or we are in trouble on every side. Well, that would be on the top side, the front side, the left side, the right side, and the back side, and the bottom side. We're trouble. We're Brother Paul, where all y'all got trouble? He said, all over. From all over. They're lying on me. Telling lies on me. Ridiculing me, saying I'm not really an apostle. I'm a traitor. I'm a spy. I'm working against the government. I hate people. I'm a preacher of hate speech. Everybody's down on me, Paul said, or us, those with him. And he wasn't exaggerating. So are you getting stressed out, Brother Paul? Yet not distressed. Isn't that amazing? You couldn't be troubled any more than Paul was. His whole ministry. I mean, he went from a soft life. He had everything going his way. He had money. He had clout. He had authority. He had it all. And then the Lord struck him and saved him. And set him in his ministry. And he had nothing but trouble the rest of his life. Oh, well, my little boy or my brother, my husband, somebody. Oh, they're, they're going to they're gonna become a pastor. They're going to become a preacher. And I'm sure they'll have a wonderful life. And everything will go fine. And it, they will be really successful in this life. And there's a lot of them that are, folks. 
there are. We'll never have to worry about anything. They'll end up with a million dollar retirement and everybody will praise them. They didn't do that for Apostle Paul. Didn't do that for his Lord. Jesus Christ didn't have that. But now he says we're not distressed. We don't need a stress seminar. <laughs> we don't need some Dr. Jaws to come and teach us how to handle stress. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. <laughs> you can't whoop him. Satan can't whoop him. The world can't whoop him. Religious hypocrites can't whoop him. But always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Look over at Galatians. Chapter 6, verse 17. From henceforth, that is from now forward, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. That word there in the Greek is where we get the word stigma. If somebody has a stigma of the eye, the shape of the eyeball has changed. So it's a legitimate term. But Paul used it, I bear in my body the stigma, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Now some think that probably does mean at least part of it. In the Old Testament, if a slave was going to be manumitted, how many know that word? That's the word used for freeing slaves. And if a Jewish slave was going to be freed, he had a choice. If he loved his master and wanted to stay with him, he could choose to do so. He would be a bond slave. A willing slave. But he had to mark, be marked to know the difference. They took an awl like a corkscrew and put it through his ear. And there was a mark. There was a stigma the mark of a bond servant. Paul talked about himself as being a 
bond servant more than once. Possibly that's there. But I think all of those scars on Paul, from being stoned, from being brutally whipped, I think those are the marks that he bore in his body. He says, bearing about, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. My, 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 my. How many people can relate to that scripture now? There's some, but not around here. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. That the mortal means it's going to die. So death, so then death worketh in us, but life in you. That is those to whom he's preaching, teaching. I think I'll quit there for tonight. We'll take it on up next week.